This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Drew Shaw. Drew is a senior vice president at CBRE out of Miami, Florida. He has been in the commercial real estate business for over 19 years. He's got a lot of insights on the industry and a cool story to tell. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Drew, tell us a little bit about you and who you are. So, I'm I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I grew up as the son of a retail real estate broker, which is an interesting uh, upbringing to say the least. <laughs> and um, went to the University of Wisconsin. They have a, a real estate program, an undergraduate real estate program that I spent a lot of time in. And um, after college, I moved back home to Cleveland and worked with my father for three years and decided that um, Northeast Ohio wasn't necessarily the best um, retail real estate environment um, to build a brokerage business the way there was more opportunity in other markets in the country. And I had, you know, been to South Florida um, a couple of times on vacation over the years and liked the lifestyle, the weather, et cetera, and decided to make a move to Miami in 2005 and um, took a job with CBRE and was with CBRE from 2005 until 2011 when I was recruited to open up a Miami office for a New York based brokerage company called RKF and ran our Miami office from 2011 until 2018 when I decided to come back to CBRE Uh, That's what they say the CB stands for in CBRE, to come back. Um, I came back in 2018 when um, Robert Futterman, the chairman of RKF, decided to um, sell to Newmark. And part of his reasoning was he felt like he needed a bigger platform than just retail um, on the services side, the brokerage services side. And I thought, you know, I was, you know, pretty familiar with CBRE's platform since I had been there previously and um, decided to take an opportunity to come back. And I've been back for three years uh, since this past April. So cool story. Growing up, the son of a retail real estate broker, I, I, I always think that's interesting, right? If there's steak on the table, you know, it was a good month, made some deals. And if there's you know, soup on the table, maybe uh, some deals, deals took a little longer to close. So um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I knew what a commission agreement was uh, when I was six years old. <laughs> there you go. So what, what do you specialize in as it relates to the retail brokerage? So I have two parts to my day-to-day business. One is tenant representation and the other is landlord agency work. And Um, Although I grew up in the big box retail leasing world and even part uh, part took in that business in um, when I first moved to Miami in in CB while I was call it 
you know, in my fourth year down here, I started to focus a little more on high street retail. So the Lincoln Roads Design District, Winwoods of the world, more street retail than grocery anchored or power center um, retail. And as um, the industry has evolved, I've actually in the past couple of years gotten a little bit back into suburban um, retail when it comes to tenant representation and agency work, just because the high street um, segment of the industry has slowed down a little bit. But an example would be we represent Xfinity in their corporate experience stores, which are four to 5,000 square feet. And those are primarily suburban based. Sure. Um, or lens crafters as an example. Very cool. So I want to go to a segment we call clear the air and get to know Drew a little bit more. Are you ready? I got three questions for you. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Question one, what is one skill you don't possess, but you wish you did? As it relates to work or in general, as it relates to work, I wish I knew a little bit more about construction costs. There you go. I feel like, you know, and we talked a little bit offline about that. I've never fully been able to put my arms around what the real cost of is, is of construction. I don't have a contracting background, et cetera. Yeah, understood. I think everybody wants to get better at construction costs. It might be a gating issue in the future. So uh, I hear you there. All right. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Um, That Cleveland is the mistake by the lake. Ah, I love that. There's going to be some championships to Cleveland sometime. Hopefully. We have one in the last uh, 60 years, but... um, you know, I think if you grow up there, you have an appreciation for it. But if you do not grow up there, you uh, you can't understand why anybody would live there. I hear you. But I think one of the things that's uh, that's interesting about towns that people talk about like this are just, you know, Cleveland's got a really strong sense of community. And yeah. that's hard to break apart. And no matter what the weather's like, what the economy's like, a strong sense of community is something that is hard to compete with against another city. It might be cool in Austin and some of these towns, but I think uh, a strong sense of community is really something that, you know, when people think about why would someone live there or anywhere, I think a strong sense of community is something that people just all too often don't think about. And I think that, uh, it really, really matters. Likewise. So last the other day, I threw on a Baker Mayfield jersey just for the hell of it. There you go. All right. Last one. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? That's, that's easy. I, I went uh, skiing about a month ago with the family. Oh, we, my uh, God. For the first time. Where'd you go? We went out to Colorado. Amazing. And it was 60 degrees, which I wasn't expecting, um, but it was beautiful. It was a, a great vacation to get out of Miami. And I've never been a skier. I've, I've been more of a golfer, um, especially, um, you know, as an adult, but uh, never, never a big skier. So golf is a skill. I've been talking about golf for eons. So my family loves golf, my friends, love golf. 
everyone in our industry golfs. Right. I played golf twice for the first time last summer. I've got lessons coming, um, signed up. So it's something I want to get into, but I've always, I've always had this, like, how am I going to get away for four hours on a regular basis? Uh, but I am, it's just been too long of me putting it off. So I'm going to try to, uh, at least be respectable on a golf course so that I don't hold up everyone that I'm playing with and the people behind me. So, right. Well, you could, you could buy a boat and go fishing for six hours and wake up at uh, five 30 in the morning as well. There you go. A lot of business is done on the golf course, but it's, it's four hours of undivided attention with whoever you're playing with. Um, whether they like it or you like it or not, um, you're with them and it's That's a right. good judge of, uh, there's like a, a moral compass surrounding you on the golf course sometimes. Or totally. Ethical totally. All right. So what I wanted to talk about before we got into clear the air was you do a lot of high street retail and some pretty prolific markets in South Florida, such as Lincoln road and now Wynwood and so the design district are all, you know, blowing up down there. We've all heard that South Florida is on a tear, notwithstanding the pandemic. We've got this huge migration happening. How's it looking from a commercial real estate perspective down in South Florida right now? You know, it's it's pretty rosy. It's it's you know, I think Warren Buffett said when when others are greedy, it's time to panic, and when others are panicking, maybe it's time to get greedy. Um, something to that effect, but. Everybody's very bullish. The one difference between this um, this kind of boom compared to the last several cycles here in South Florida, you know, a lot of the migration is permanent in the, in the event that people are moving here for tax advantages. And if you're going to take advantage of the favorable tax situation, you have to live here for six months and a day. You can't just live here for three weeks. You can't live here for three months, four months. And my understanding is they watch that pretty closely. Um, the pandemic, I think, really helped some of the markets that needed to mature a little bit actually mature a little bit faster. So the design district, I think, going into the pandemic, although it saw a lot more foot traffic month, month over month, generally speaking, since phase two opened, I think what the pandemic did, it allowed it to mature in what would have maybe taken three or four years. It matured that it matured that much in, in 12 months. And it's because the locals really started to engage the outdoor environment um, of the design district, coupled with the fact that there were more restaurants that were now open versus just a pure ultra luxury play that really caters to the tourists and the international tourists. Got it. That's uh, interesting. hadn't hadn't thought of the prospect of potentially markets maturing a little better. That's really interesting. One of the things we're seeing in other markets around the country is this move from urban to suburban. Yeah. And I guess my question is: Are you seeing that in Miami? Are you seeing? people go, even though you have migration, but some of the suburbs really, you know, booming a little bit more than the city. Yeah, I think that um, 
we've seen very strong sub markets, whether it's Doral or Aventura or Boca Raton, really um, see a surge in population. And again, some of the cities um, or some of the more urban streets like the like Lincoln Road, for example, really was struggling because a lot of those retailers, they were the credit worthy retailers that could pay the rent um, that a lot of these newer landlords with newer acquisitions uh, needed in order to um, to agree to a deal, they needed the credit worthiness. Um, they started to struggle. Whether it's you know J Crew, Banana Republic, Gap, Madewell, um, and it priced out um, a lot of the restaurants. And as a result, there was no reason to go to Lincoln Road when the restaurants weren't there and all the retailers could also be found in suburbia. And um, it's just much easier to kind of, you know, stay closer to home um, for your shopping patterns, especially, you know, with with the traffic, you know, it's very hard to get around at times. We have a ton of traffic here in South Florida. What that does is it enables some of these markets to better define themselves. Yeah, really interesting. And I am biased. We own in suburban markets. So, but I, I'm feeling pretty bullish long-term about suburban lifestyle, especially, you know, when you look out in the distant future, if we see things like self-driving cars, where you can live a little further out, lower cost of living and commute to the city less uh, or commute to the city in a, you know, and be on your conference call and phone and on your laptop because someone's driving you and then even come in a little, a little closer to home in a remote work environment. I don't know, pick a market. If you're in Chicago and your office is in Chicago, but now you only have to be in the office two, three days a week. Maybe I can live 25 minutes further than I thought because I can handle the tough commute a couple of days versus right versus every single day of the grind. So I think that's going to play an impact on suburbia. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense. When you look at Chicago, I think Oak Brook Center in the Brookfield portfolio um, might be their top performing center. And as we all know, you know, you know, the urban parts of Chicago, downtown Chicago have really been hit hard. But I think, yes, people like, you know, in this day and age, you know, they're spending more and more time at home and they're enjoying their home more. So they want to be at home a little bit more um, if they've just redone their outdoor, their backyard patio, um, they got new furniture. We've seen the home decor segment really take off during the pandemic. And I, I think that bodes well for not wanting to be away from home for too, too long. I'm in my home office right now. Totally. Same here. I just have this branded virtual background. <laughs> right. So, but same. Okay, well, that was really good context and helpful. I want to move into the story, and you have a story about a cool retailer called Psycho Bunny. What location? Where are we going? What's the market? So the, I had I had posted on um, Instagram that uh, we had 
finally opened a store at Tyson's Corner Center in uh, the, the Metro DC market. Yep. And I said in my post that, you know, one day I could write a book on this transaction and maybe it would be a guaranteed bestseller. You got it. And that intrigued me because this, this show is about the stories behind the deal and how, um, if you look at this corner, how that store ended up in your neighborhood. So, right. So, uh, so it's not my neighborhood, me. but it's uh, McLean, Virginia's neighborhood. Yes. And uh, the tenant um, who I've been doing work with since uh, store one, the first store was uh, we landed at Aventura Mall in South Florida, um, but we've been expanding and or they've been expanding and I've been helping them with that. Um, we had been talking about Washington, D.C. for quite some time. And they tend to grow based on where their e-commerce business is strongest. And the DC market was always showing strong numbers for Psycho Bunny on the e-commerce side. So we had gone back and forth with Mesa Rich um, prior to the pandemic. And we were just very far apart when it came to what they were looking to achieve from a rent and allowance and other terms, delivery condition, et cetera, in the deal. And then the pandemic hit. And um, I would always get calls from the leasing representative from Maserich um, about Psycho Bunny because we were, we really wanted to be in Tyson's Corner Center, but we just couldn't get a deal together. And they kept saying, I said, they, they would say, where are you? What, what are your thoughts? Are you ready to, are you ready to look at a, look at a space? And um, they would send us a space and the terms would be, you know, still way out of whack. So we, we finally said, look, this is where we need to be in order to get a deal approved. And it was an ugly deal. Um, and they kept saying, well, you know, we, we only have this space that we could give to you. And the, I would present it to Psycho Bunny and they would say, we don't like that space. It didn't have enough frontage. And then I would convey that message to Mace Rich and they would come back and they would say, well, what about this space? And we would say, that's, you know, that's not the right co-tenancy within the mall or that's not the level of the mall that we want to be on, et cetera or there's a big redevelopment within the mall taking place across the corridor. And that went back and forth to the point where, and Mace Rich may get upset at this, but I think we went through six or seven locations when we were told initially that there was only one location that was potentially available for us. So Psycho Buddy's digesting this and they're saying, wait a second, how many of these locations could they potentially recapture? So it wasn't that the spaces were technically vacant, it was just either that, you know, there was a COVID clause that they could extend the retailer, they gave them rent relief, or um, they gave them some other concession, but in, in exchange for that, they got the right to recapture the space. So we, we just went back and forth and we finally um, agreed on a location. And then we agreed on a tenant allowance um, and then they decided to cut the short box, the space. And 
it made the economics of the deal easier for the landlord to approve if they could convert the back of the space to storage and give us a smaller space. That way the tenant allowance wasn't as significant and the aggressive deal structure for the first couple of years wasn't as big of a hit for the landlord, um, assuming that Psycho Bunny did, did the numbers that they thought they were going to do. And it was just, it took, um, I'd say it took seven months um, of negotiations. The lease, we were told the lease was coming and the lease never came. We were waiting for the capital partner to approve the deal. They never would approve the deal. And it was our understanding that, you know, Mesa Rich was having this issue with several other retailers. And it was just a minor miracle that the deal came to fruition um, because there was a lot of emotion in the conference calls and at that time Zoom calls that we were having where we were being offered space that the landlord didn't necessarily control, but they thought they could control it. And it was just, uh, it was a crazy show for lack of a better term. I wish it was more entertaining so, the story. But so, if I write the book, maybe, uh, maybe I can say some things that I'm not divulging here. <laughs> All good. I think this is really good. So let's back up for one second. Give the audience a little bit more about Psycho Bunny. Who are they and what do they do? So Psycho Bunny is a menswear retailer that is based in Montreal, the parent company. It was founded in New York, I believe in 2006 by two gentlemen um, in New York. And it was primarily a wholesale business. They had a couple licensees in South America and Asia um, that opened licensed stores, but at the end of the day, it was really a wholesale business that was carried through department stores and multi-branded, multi-branded retailers throughout the country and throughout the globe. And they met this gentleman, the CEO, um, who's based in Montreal, who I think was trying to get some of the distribution. I should know this a little better than I do, but, uh, um, in Canada and, um, it turned out that you know he 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 kind of fell in love with the brand as he as he learned more about it, and he had the wherewithal to really grow it to the next level. That I believe the founders, it's not that they didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't think they wanted to. They didn't want to do the the dirty work to take it to the next level or assume some of that risk. I, I don't know the whole story to be sure. honest, but. Um, they came to me through a broker friend of mine um, in um, 2018, in early 2018, and they said that, um, you know, Miami was their number one e-commerce market. And it's because, in my opinion, you know, they have most of their product is Pima cotton. It's casual athleisure wear uh, for men and boys. And um, they have bright colors, they have high quality product at a decent price. And I think that resonates very well with this culturally diverse population that we have here in South Florida. Um, it can be seen as preppy, it can be seen as, you know, relatively speaking conservative, even though the logo is a bunny and skull bones, crossbones, but it could be an, Besides a logo, you wouldn't know if that was a Brooks Brothers shirt, a Lacoste shirt, or a polo shirt, or an unbranded shirt. But then they have big plays on the logo um, and bright pink colors, et cetera. So 
it caters to, um, you know, the rebels out there, the um, kids, you see a lot of fathers and kids wearing the same outfit here. Some people think that's cheesy, but you see that a lot here in Miami. Um, and it caters to somebody who wants to have um, a little bit of an edge that's different than a Lacoste or um, call it the old guard, like a Brooks Brothers, who, who also happens to be a client of mine. And so how many stores do they have now? So they have about nine stores open and operating, and they will have about 21 stores open by the end of 21. That's incredible. And what gave them the conviction or the desire to want to open up stores? When did they decide, you know what, we need to have stores too? Because they were, they, were, they were just e-commerce before that. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that they monitor their business with their department store partners. Um, but I think that the CEO surrounded himself. He's a very smart individual himself, but he also surrounded himself with very smart people in the retail business that, that they weren't necessarily as savvy as him on the wholesale side, but definitely savvy on the, on the retail side. And they said the best way to grow your brand is through brick and mortar. Got it. And I so, think the most cost-effective way to grow your brand. It's definitely the most cost-effective way. Yeah. So they have a wholesale business, they have a DTC e-commerce business, and then they have brick and mortar stores. So they're covering multiple channels. Correct. That's great. And they have a phenomenal team. They are yeah. meticulous when it comes to store design and, um, you know, a quick funny story about the CEO. We took a trip to Southern California and he wanted to be the one that rented the car. And we literally looked at 10 options at the rental car agency and nine of them had too many miles. And he finally settled on the 10th car that we saw because he's a car fanatic and we finally got a car that didn't have too many miles for us to drive literally from call it Costa Mesa to Los Angeles. So we're not talking about a big trip here. <laughs> and uh, he just was adamant that he had a car that had less than a thousand miles on it. That is great. That's a funny story. One of the things taking back to the deal at Tyson's that, you know, really resonated with me was, just the continued perseverance by both sides to try to make a deal. Was there ever a time where you went back and was like, we're never going to have a store Tyson's? No, I didn't believe that. But I think that um, the psycho bunny team felt that way. And I judge that just based on the communication and the outreach. And you can get a sense, I think after doing this for enough time, um, whether a deal is dead or not. I don't know if you know whether the deal is going to come to fruition or not, but you certainly can tell whether it's dead or not. And it didn't seem, it never seemed dead to me. That is a great distinction. The difference between whether a deal is going to come to fruition versus whether a deal is dead or not. They, they are two different things. And I think that's a, a powerful distinction right there. It's a good point. Was there a part of you all that said, hey, we were working on this pre-pandemic, but now is the time we got to strike now because 
we're in the pandemic and it might be opportunistic for us to make a deal now versus when the dust yeah, settles? So I, I talk about that often just because um, people have asked me about growth. And this, this retailer specifically, this client of mine, I've been with them since day one. So I've been able to see how it's evolved. And one of the things that we talked about quite a bit was that, you know, if the mall environment doesn't come back, they're screwed because they're not going to have a business. But let's just say that the mall environment does come back, which we all kind of felt that it would. It's just a matter of time and geography. Um, you may as well try and get some deals done now because you're never going to have more leverage as a retailer that has three stores open than you do today. Um, and there was a benefit to them only having three stores because they didn't have a ton of leases where they were paying rent and the mall was closed. There weren't a ton of workouts to do. Um, they were very well situated in that they only had three stores or four stores. And those stores were Aventura Mall that was still performing well. Forum Shops, which got clobbered by um, the pandemic, but is actually up to pre-pandemic levels again. Um, and Lenox Square, which also fared pretty well uh, during the pandemic. And then they had opened a store at the Hollywood Hard Rock Hotel and Casino here in Hollywood, Florida, um, that just happened to be a listing of mine and we were able to put a deal together. And that store performed quite well as well. Um, but we talked about, um, you know, if it does come back, you're going to be well situated if we can get our terms or if they can get their terms that gives them downside protection, whether it's a termination right, whether it's a percentage rent heavy deal for the first couple of years, um, et cetera, et cetera. Understood. The, the location that you ended up in, was it the first location that you ended up wanting or was it something totally different? It was the first location that we ended up wanting which is funny that you say that. Interesting. So you went through one location, you went through six iterations and you, you finally end up back at square one. And what was interesting was as, as every day went on, another retailer was filing bankruptcy. So it, it, it wasn't a good story that was being told for the landlord when, you know, all of a sudden this tenant is no longer in existence. And then this tenant is no longer in existence. And that's a, an A plus mall with a lot of small shop GLA. And you can imagine some of these tenants were, you know, closing or potentially closing with a bankruptcy or trying to downsize. Got it. All right. Well, that was cool. I haven't been to a psycho bunny. Is there one in New York yet in the city? Garden State Plaza. Yeah, it's closer to me. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. You should. I, I will. It's done phenomenally well. It's exceeded expectations in its first month of operation. Is it's been open a month? Yeah. What what wing in Garden State Plaza is in? Because it's, it's on the second level, uh, across from Amazon Four Star. Got it. Very cool. Well, Drew, that was an amazing story. I really appreciate you telling it. Uh, I want to take us to the last part of the show. I call it retail wisdom. I got three fun questions. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, man. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? I think uh, FAO Schwartz. That's a good one, man. 
Fun store. I have Fun. three young kids, and um, I don't think the stores, I don't think the toy store environment is so spectacular out there. But if you have three young kids, and I have two, you buy a lot of toys. That's one of the things That's I've true. learned. <laughs> That's true. But I feel like that was a special retailer. It was a, a special trip, and we don't have that for kids. I mean, they have the iPad and Amazon and all of those things, but they don't have that in-store experience that I think is incomparable. Yeah. Okay, question two. What is the last item over $20 that you purchased in a store? I bought an iPhone. I bought a 10 foot long iPhone charger yesterday. Ah, 10 feet. Yeah, so that I can stretch it in my home office to my desk. My kids take them from me and put them in their room and I'm tired of looking for them. So I basically got one for myself. So I like that one. And it's variety. We get a lot of, when I ask that, the, a lot of the answers are tequila. So it, that's, a, that's a different answer. That's good. Okay. I let other people buy me my tequila. <laughs> and if I pay $20 for tequila, um, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> Same. All right. Last question. If you and I were shopping in Target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? You would find me in the snack section. I'm snack a big, section. I'm a big fruit roll up fan. I still eat fruit roll ups by the box. Oh my God. That's a great little tidbit about you. Fruit roll ups. Good yeah. to know. Um, well, listen, me. that yeah, was great. Like Chris, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, man. This was great. Thank you for listening to retail retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.